Today, let's talk about creators who can't leave their creations well enough alone. And I will do a diversion on Holi. Hello and welcome to The Bantaman. Today's episode is called Creators. We are Naveen and Rishi, just two guys talking about things that interest us. mostly to amuse one another and occasionally to learn something these are freewheeling conversations about things that interest and fascinate us one of us talks about a hobby or interest the other takes more of a curious person role we take turns being socrates and plato if you want to be highfalutin about it so here we go welcome to another episode of the bantaman we've been talking about doing a segment on uh, Harry Potter for a while and today Rishi is going to fulfill that wish so Rishi off you go yes so you know i i struggled to really find an angle on um, rowling and potter until it occurred to me that there's probably very little value in us just fanboying and gushing about it we we need to talk about an aspect of it that is topical relevant current and approaches it from a analytical uh, perspective so i think i found one and it is it has been in the headlines uh, for potter fans who've been following news last week it's sort of been in the headlines so here's the thesis oh but before we start off i want to say that I'm a huge fan of the canon. I'm a huge fan of the Harry Potter works. I've read everything written, watched everything produced. So that's the background here. You haven't watched everything produced. You didn't get tickets to the Cursed Child. Oh no, we we did. We went we actually watched it. Ooh. Oh, oh yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I stand corrected. <laughs> well, I'm less of a fan than you are then because despite visiting London, I haven't managed to watch the play. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean huge fan of the books. Read them. I think I started reading them around the time when uh, Prisoner of Azkaban came out. Yep, same here. I read 1, 2 and 3. together right, right and then waited for each book yeah the interminable in every time yeah. yeah stood in line every time to get the first book on the day it was released nice and yeah i mean i've i've introduced several people to it big fan of the movies uh, although i thought the first two were a bit eh, okay um <laughs> i i absolutely love every single movie i mean i'm i'm a fan i'm an absolute fan right right and then obviously i have very mixed feelings about uh some of the subsequent media that has come out so very mixed feeling about uh, the cursed child uh, the play uh, although i haven't watched the play i've read the uh, script and then very mixed feelings again about the fantastic beasts movies um but you know it's it's sort of telling i suppose that uh, you and i both readers in our formative times in the 90s uh, would see that uh, harry potter is such a huge influence in our lives i i think it's no surprise uh, you know just just to set the stage obviously harry potter is the most successful book series uh, in history i think just you know a quick glance at wikipedia tells me that philosopher's stone is uh, or sorcerer's stone as uh, the americans called it is one of the top 3 most sold books of fiction in the world. Oh wow. Now this list doesn't include the Bible, but um <laughs> uh The Lord of the Rings and The Little Prince are the only books uh, per Wikipedia that actually uh, have sold more copies than oh, nice. Philosopher's Stone and obviously they've had 
a head start uh, on Harry Potter, so, so it may catch up. So in India, the uh, the barometer by which you see if a book is successful is if uh, how often you can see pirated works oh, of yeah. uh, that particular book, and every traffic signal where they sell books, you find Harry Potter books, even today being sold. So right, right. That, that's like a huge barometer of how successful or popular these are. Absolutely. No, and, and the other thing is, you know, usually what you see, um, I'm definitely seeing it on this bestsellers list that I'm looking at, is when you have a series of books, the first book is the most successful. And in Harry Potter's case, that is true. So, you know, they've sold 120 million copies and counting of The Philosopher's Stone. But then interest wanes over time, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the Da Vinci Code makes uh, a list, but none of the other uh, Robert Langdon books right. do. Right. Harry Potter is an exception because the other six books are all in the list of books that have sold 50 to 100 million copies. Nice. Right? Yeah. That kind of talks to you that, you know, this, this that Harry Potter is a single work. Uh, yeah. It's just got seven parts. It's not like... It's. It, I don't think anyone considers them as separate books. Right. It's like right. one big story of which different tales are being told. Absolutely. So, you know, again, going going just a little bit more into sort of the world of Harry Potter. Obviously, Rowling is somebody that has ensured that the world building is absolutely one of the uh, hallmarks of the Harry Potter series. You know, she's put a lot of thought into the world, into the characters. She, she wrote these books at a sort of low point in her life when she was practically penniless. So going from that to one of the most successful and rich people in the world, uh, it's it's been quite a journey. So full credit to her for that. And, you know, there was a time after The Deathly Hallows came out where she was sort of, she had sworn off writing any further Harry Potter. But then she changed her mind. Um, and, and good thing she did in a way because, uh, you know, you you can never say no to more magical writing, shall we say, from Rowling in the Potterverse. But that's not what this episode is going to be about. One of her, let's call it um, strange tendencies over the years has been to react to the fandom and to get the fandom to react to her. And, you know, like I said, I mean, it is the most successful book series in human history and she has a very very interested very curious very vocal vocal engaged fandom so the story that sticks out to me is or, or the stories i should say that stick out to me are uh, whenever she used to go on a book promotion tour or whenever she would be at an event with a bunch of people who were all sort of talking to her about her books, asking her questions, she would oftentimes step out and talk about additional facts relating to her books and, and just lay them out there, right? Off-the-cuff annotations. Off the, yeah, yeah. Ex ex exactly, off-the-cuff annotations. So uh, one example that I can give, well, I'll give you two examples, actually. The first is, you know, she was at a press conference and this was not the most significant thing that she revealed in the press conference. We'll come back to the most significant one. But uh, somebody asked her, you know, hey, um, after the Deathly Hallows, what happens to Neville Longbottom? Uh, who does Neville Longbottom marry? Mm -hmm. She had an answer ready. She said, uh, yeah, he goes on to be a teacher at Hogwarts. He marries so-and-so. She names a minor character who appears like thrice in the books or something. Mm -hmm. uh, then she goes on to say, by the way, his wife took over the inn outside of Hogwarts and uh, she became the innkeeper. 
And so uh, Neville Longbottom, who was never cool in the eyes of his students, suddenly became cool because he married the innkeeper. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that that she would have instant recall and that she would just, you know, give this information out in a press conference uh, speaks volumes about uh, sort of her level of detail in the world building and, and sort of the, the whimsical way that she's built the world. Right, right. So, so right. full credit for that. But then there's the other example. Where <laughs> <laughs> unbidden, you know, completely out of the blue, she clarified that... Um, Actually, internal plumbing is a recent invention in the visiting world. In the past, what used to happen was wizards would just relieve themselves wherever they stood and then magic away the evidence. Oh, that we did not need to know that. Yeah, and you, you really wonder why she would say that? I mean, you've, you've got Morning Myrtle in the books. You've got the <laughs> elaborate prefect's bathroom. You have the regular <laughs> bathrooms. You've got the chamber of secrets for which you have to open a wash basin uh, by speaking parcel tongue. Why would you clarify something like that? Because the, the, the <laughs> it, it's sort of inexplicable to me, right? Because there, the, is, uh, yeah, there is a lot to be said about you know, thinking before speaking well i'm i'm more worried about the thinking after speaking because now i'm wondering is there some corner of the wizarding world where all the wizards were apparating all their poop over the years and it's just a big mountain of crap <laughs> wizard crap right <laughs> vanish magic away the evidence what does that mean where does it go does you know do they disintegrate it does it go to the moon is the moon just a giant sewage pit now <laughs> And and I can promise you, you know, fans have speculated about this. If you go on Reddit, I'm sure you'll find threads speculating where all the poop went. <laughs> Which brings me to sort of why I decided to talk about this topic today. So really what I'm talking about today is creators who cannot leave their creations well enough alone. I think Rowling is a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. And when I say they can't leave it alone, I'm not talking about the author's prerogative, honestly, to add to the body of work. You want to write prequels, you want to write sequels, you know, be my guest. I will be, like you say, in line to buy the stuff and read it. It's these additionals, appendices that I'm kind of talking about that more often than not are not information that add anything significant to the world and usually become a gateway to controversy. So let's let's take a beat here. Let's take a pause uh, to reflect on where the wizard's poop all went. <laughs> um, but yeah, when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about some not so innocuous things that she added to the world and that did get her in trouble and continue to. Sure thing. Let's take a break. Welcome back, folks. We were just talking about, well, rather <laughs> inconsequentials, like where wizards magic their poo away to. Uh, but now we're going on to talk about more, should I say, serious stuff, Rishi? Yeah, yeah, sure. So let me go back to that press conference uh, that I was talking about. Uh, this was the press conference where she responded to a question from a kid. And, uh, you know, the, the kid had asked about uh, some... Uh, aspect of Dumbledore's behavior and I think uh, you know I, I don't know exactly what the question was but she asked if Dumbledore was gay and Rowling's response was uh, some of this is a direct quote 
you know, I I always saw Dumbledore as gay. She clarified. She said Dumbledore fell in love with Grindelwald. Don't forget falling in love can blind us. He was very drawn to this brilliant person and this was Dumbledore's tragedy. And of course the books uh, always hint at Dumbledore having a very troubled childhood, adolescence, there being the thing with his sister, his uh-huh. brother Aberforth is not yep. on speaking terms with him until after he's dead. So you know she had hinted at all this backstory clearly she had thought about this backstory and she just in uh, response to a question uh, puts it out there that dumbledore was in fact gay which in and of itself is perfectly fine to do uh-huh. uh, but then you know you you think about how this fact goes out there and then there is the inevitable uproar because the super engaged fandom i dare say the majority of the fandom kind of took that fact and said eh okay um but then there was the minority that were absolutely delighted that she would clarify this they held her up as a liberal lion uh, they kind of said oh you know that's i supposed to use a 2019ism or 20ism uh, she was held up as a woke paragon mm mm-hmm. and then you have the other end where you know the extreme opinions where uh, we know that the catholic church has although not officially they haven't banded banded but parishioners are dissuaded from reading it because it's all about magic and witchcraft that crowd got additional ammo right so uh-huh. they're like oh she's right. trying to turn your kids gay by saying completely <laughs> <laughs> gay or whatever ridiculous <laughs> stuff they say i'm not endorsing either end of the opinion spectrum here but i am saying that this was ultimately a case where the author added a footnote to a set of books after they had been published after they had come out you know I, i'm perfectly okay with her writing a little bit of fiction where you depict dumbledore right in his sort of gay bar uh, scene days <laughs> i'm perfectly okay with it right, uh, you right. know you 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 can write whatever fiction you like right the problem i have is she puts this fact out there says this is how it has always been and then the uproar follows and i think it actually subtracts from being able to just enjoy the books for what they are for me you know one of the things i think we've talked about this in prior episodes is once you put a creative work out there it stops belonging to you and and my feeling certainly is very much that if you've put something in the book it's out there for interpretation but if you haven't put anything in the book like there's no mention in the books that dumbledore is gay or has had a relationship with grindelwald other than being a good friend of his at some point why even clarify it just leave it to you know people who want to think dumbledore was gay are welcome to those who don't are welcome to so i, I guess what what's your take on this because this is easily one of the biggest controversies around I, I think one one thing we must clarify here is uh, there is a small difference between us doing it as fans like right. if a few fans get together and after a reading of it say that it looks like dumbledore is gay mm. and then we point to a bunch of things which we think is evidence for that in the right. books that is one thing but it's quite another thing for um, the creator of the work when she comes out and says this uh, then like you said it kind of divides us yeah and uh, uh, and you left wondering wait is this canon or it is this not right exactly. is is it a fan theory or is it like the working theory when she wrote the book if right. it was the working theory when she wrote the book where is it i mean why is it not like pervasive right, right? where in later works it's kind of avoided right. right so yeah i think that is the problematic part here not the fact that i mean she's obviously free to say whatever she thinks about and especially about her work right, right? 
but kind of the fact that you do it without making it official right is kind of i think the problem here yeah and it's not something that she didn't know would cause controversy no i'm not even going right. into the controversy but rishi here right um it's about it, it could be anything right it's like oh okay all of hogwarts was covered in gold at one point mm-hmm. if you want to say mm-hmm. stuff like that it it's about the detail that you're adding to the world right right the controversy is apart from this my main thing here is that like like we were saying right like once a work is out there then it kind of evolves on its own right. uh, based on the understanding of that work by the people who read it right that is where the problem arises i, I get the controversy beyond these things hmm. and uh, the impact they have on real world things but my take here is a bit more basic than that where right. if you want to add something to it just just write another story and make it part of that right, right. if you're unwilling to do that and you just want to like uh, put out these bits yeah it's kind of uh, it's kind of a cop out well i mean it gets worse right yeah. <laughs> because obviously when she clarified this i think this was back in 2007 october mm-hmm. of 2007 right the fantastic beasts movies had not yet come out so yep. there was no bit of fiction that she had written featuring a young dumbledore right right and then a few years ago the fantastic beasts and where to find the movie comes out dumbledore's in it grindelwald's in it there's no gay dumbledore there there's well i mean they they don't share a single scene together right right in the first book uh, in the first movie and then the crimes of grindelwald comes out where again there's a lot of sort of wink wink you know hush hush implication um that dumbledore has a past with grindelwald but again she's put that off screen and and you know there's absolutely no acknowledgement you know i don't particularly enjoy those movies so i haven't seen them many times but i can't remember jude law who plays a young dumbledore and um, uh, johnny depp who plays the grindelwald character sharing too much screen time either but um, do you think that could be due to uh, you know the producers concerns about sure you know, but mass marketing this absolutely it it has to be something like that warner brothers having an influence having a vote but she's still the author right it's her story for me it's it's okay if you didn't put that fact in the potter novels because it wasn't relevant mm-hmm. that's fine right. but now you've got dumbledore as the sort of puppeteer uh, right uh, managing uh, all the strings that are tied to newt's commander mm-hmm. to kind of get him to be his proxy and right. he keeps saying oh i can't confront grindelwald openly myself well why not that's kind of relevant then yeah right so anyway i mean I, i don't want to kind of spend too much time on that i'm, I'm not sure i know the right answer necessarily on mm-hmm. how all that should have been handled and ultimately it's her prerogative right it's Absolutely. her world she can write whatever she whatever she wants about it yep. but i just want to point out that this tendency to not leave things alone gets her in trouble time and again <laughs> um another recent example is she she had started pottermore in the wake of the books coming out mm-hmm. uh, which was sort of this expanded experience online for fans which has now been replaced with uh, visitingworld.com right so she put an article out there and people have been asking her for a long time now about other visiting schools in the visiting world so in the books you have uh bubatons in france you have dermstrang somewhere in russia and you have of course hogwarts in uh, the uk mm-hmm. uh, she's now gone out and put like there's oh there's 14 other schools out there 
right? Right. A, a number of them. And one of the ones that she said exists is in Japan, where she said the name of the school, and I am going to assassinate this word, I'm really sorry, <laughs> is Mahutokoro, M-A-H-O-U-T-O-K-O-R-O right. in right. English, which is grammatically incorrect. It literally, the English transliteration would be magic place, right. because Maho is magic and Tokoro is place. But if any Japanese, casual Japanese speaker were to say the word, they would say Mahu no Tokoro. Right. which means the okay. place of magic. Right. And it's just, you haven't done the research well enough. You are kind of unnecessarily putting out this detail. Yeah, this, this is crazy. I mean, even the uh, South American school, for example, it's supposed to be located in a place which is uh, Spanish, but yeah. it's named in Portuguese, or it's located in a place where they speak Sp- Portuguese and it's named in Spanish, one of those two. Right. Basically, even the most, what should I say, the most basic care should be taken to... Uh, fix these things and that's not done uh, yeah i mean even the amount of admittedly little bit of research we do for the podcast yeah. doesn't seem to have been done in this case True. no and well you know we we can link to all the different reddit threads and discussions and so on oh wait and the other bit right like for all of india and china you have one school in china mm, okay yeah that's yeah no <laughs> sorry that's that's not done yeah. So anyway, you know, I, I just want to say none of this actually adds to the experience of the books or the movies. It it feeds that obsessive fandom, yes. But, you know, there's multiple ways to approach it. And when we come back after a break, let's take a look at some other people that either have the same problem or don't. Sure thing. All right, Naveen, um, let's do a little diversion before we return to the topic at hand. And uh, I mean, it's no surprise to me. I know what you're going to talk about, but I should (laughs) point out to the listeners that today we are recording on Tuesday, the 10th of March. So that makes your diversion extremely topical, given what day it is. (laughs) Absolutely. We're going to talk about uh, Holi. The festival of Holi is being celebrated in a muted fashion because of uh, current circumstances, but it's being celebrated all over, well, the northern parts of India. Coronavirus. <laughs> okay, so what happens in Holi is people go around tossing colorful powder in each other's faces and clothes and essentially having a lot of fun doing it. Right. right. Now, this is a very common practice in North India, but I grew up in... Uh, a small town in South India, and uh, this was culturally not part of uh, who mm. we were. We we had a small uh, North Indian population, and they would celebrate on that day. But what it also meant was it kind of gave a license for bad behavior on those days. Right. So if you go out in the streets, uh, it's quite possible that you would be harassed by uh, groups of young men uh, with uh, powder, color powder, or yeah. uh, colored water, and they would try and like throw it on you. And uh, in the public buses, it would be like an excuse to grope women. So it was yeah. it was quite a terrible part of childhood. Uh, it's kind of stuck with me. And uh, for me till now, it's it's not holy, it's unholy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something I enjoy. Um, right. I don't think I've ever probably had powder on me like a couple of times when right. it was very unavoidable. But playing holy or, you know, like, 
throwing colors on others and getting colors thrown on me is something that I absolutely detest. Um, <laughs> even watching it makes me makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh dear. Yeah. Bollywood is not kind to you then. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had a very different experience growing up, but I mean, I I must have personally celebrated Holi until the age of ten, mm-hmm. probably after which the ik factor kind of took over for me. Right. But yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, growing up, Holi is the day when everybody indulges in bhang, which is basically marijuana. It is absolutely the festival that brings out the worst in some people. Mm-hmm. So I grew up to horror stories. I've I've done some horrible things, if I'm honest, uh, okay. where gangs of kids would be roving around the neighborhood doing stuff like putting color into the milkman's milk supply uh. um unsuspecting well unsuspecting i say they knew what day it was but right. uh, just you know generally going and uh, smashing up people with color who weren't mm-hmm. celebrants themselves right using horrible colors that wouldn't come off seem to take pride of place so i've seen everything from varnishes to lacquer to eggs and tomatoes oh, being what's the deal with that eggs and tomatoes i mean because <laughs> when you once, you once you run out of uh, color right you use whatever that had but here's here's the worst thing which i will cop to which is something i have done mm-hmm. i grew up in a, a colony of sort of independent houses uh-huh. and a lot of people had storage tanks for water so uh, one of the traditions on holi is you identify the house that is either not occupied or has really old people living in it that mm-hmm. can't do much to you right. punitively mm-hmm. And then you just go and dunk in their water tank. Oh. Drinking water stirred. Ah. You, you put color in it. You, you jump in. Oh, yeah, man. That's just terrible. It up. That's just terrible. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I get the joy of celebrating Holi. But I suppose, dear listeners, uh, I mean, you haven't done anything this year, I'm sure, because of the uh, prevailing wind. <laughs> but, yeah. Be, be kind, man. Be kind. You want to celebrate Holi? Go ahead and do it. That's fine. It's your prerogative. But be kind to others. Yep. Absolutely. Right, we are back now. Um, so, Rishi, I've been thinking about how J.K. Rowling has been like constantly tinkering with the aspects of the universe she's built. Yeah. And I can't help but think about uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, oh, who, yeah. who practically ran away from his creation, who basically said at one point, you know what, I'm being boxed into this um, writer of detective fiction genre, which I don't want to. Yeah. And so he literally killed off Sherlock Holmes right. at one point. And we wouldn't even have a big chunk of the canon if... Uh, if it hadn't been for like a bunch of very vocal fans writing into the newspapers, right, calling right. for uh, Holmes to come back. So it kind of strikes me that he was the exact opposite of what uh, J.K. Rowling is doing right now. <laughs> he just didn't want ha- want anything to do with uh, his character after that. I don't want to seem like we're picking on Rowling by any measure. Because she's not alone, right? She's not the only creator who has faced backlash on the additions made to canon. George Lucas comes to mind as a prime example predating <laughs> predating Rowling. So, you know, and, and he's been doing it from the start, right? When uh, the first movie in the Star Wars universe came out, it was just called Star Wars. Right. It wasn't until five years later for the re-release that it was labeled Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Mm-hmm. So he's done it from the start, but obviously one of the things that he got absolutely 
character assassinated for all over the internet was when he released in 1990 something the special editions uh, where he basically said look you know i could never really fulfill my imaginative vision in 1976 due to technological limitations but hey jurassic park just came out and the company i built the special effects house industrial light and magic helped create dinosaurs out of nothing so i'm going to go back edit the uh, old star wars movies again because he had done it before and uh, introduce some elements in it and one of the things that he did which to casual fans would seem really innocuous is he edited a particular scene where han meets greedo <laughs> <laughs> and the mos eisley cantina and he made it such that greedo yeah, shoots yeah. first but we all know that han shot first right so. and and then hashtag <laughs> #han shot first is a thing yeah and interestingly by the way i don't know if you've uh, kept up with your star wars news but another re-release of the movies has happened recently with the disney plus service coming out mm-hmm. and they've mucked about with that scene again ooh Where oh, I did not know that. I, I believe in, need to know that. <laughs> I believe in the latest uh, version, uh, Han and Greedo shoot almost simultaneously or something. But then Greedo's dying word is McClunky, mm-hmm. which means nothing. It's McClunky. He says McClunky as he dies. <laughs> Nobody knows if that's a curse word or what, but you know, it's, it's out there. George Lucas <laughs> is one of those people that was so hounded by backlash that he basically sold off Star Wars to Disney washed his hands off it right <laughs> and i mean he's he's gone on the record in interviews etc just saying i'm tired of this stuff i'm tired of fans telling me what i can and cannot do with my own creation he is somebody who sees the released material as an iteration but as far as he's concerned he was okay just going back and perfecting it tinkering with it mm uh-huh. uh which is again slightly different from rolling uh, in that she's not necessarily tinkering with the books and re-releasing new revised editions she's just adding facts on tacking stuff on uh, to the existing canon outside the work which, uh, which out, for me outside I of I the mean, work that, yeah that for me is like the the crux of the issue right so right it's every creator's prerogative to do with their creation as they please but there is something to be said for once the creation is out there once it is in the hands of your intended audience it is as much theirs as yours so i want to talk about two more authors mm-hmm. um, yep. in a in a slightly different medium i know you said arthur conan doyle is like the polar opposite of jk rowling right. i don't think he is actually he's not all the way at the other end of the spectrum the person that's at the other end of the spectrum is probably alan moore Mm-hmm. who again you know to go back to our histories episode is the one who wrote the original watchmen graphic novel he's written a bunch of other stuff he's written sort of the league of extraordinary gentlemen that comic book is his mm-hmm. yeah he was also the genius behind beef of vendetta oh yes but his take is slightly different where he basically says right i've written that i've put it out there and it is out there now you can interpret it how you please he's against all adaptations so he did not endorse a single one of the movies based on his work he's not for the prequels or the sequels chances are he hasn't watched the watchmen tv series that i saw last <laughs> you know i i really respect his stance his stance is i'm a comic book writer i've written a comic book it's out there now and it belongs to its readers you know he may come back and write sequels he may come back and do whatever he wants if he wants to do it but they will be comic books i think he's the polar opposite where he doesn't do interviews and tell you that oh Rorschach is the way he is because his mom abused him as a kid. He's like, you know, whatever is in the graphic novel, you can interpret whichever way you like. 
So so that's one example. Oh wait, uh, I know we did not plan on doing this, but suddenly something else popped into my head. Go for it. Um, Douglas Adams. Ooh, it's just crazy, right? Like how many forms that that phenomenal piece of work has taken. Yeah, yeah. And he's jumped enthusiastically into all of them. Yeah, right. The many radio versions. Yeah. The TV version, the uh, the video game version, yeah, the book, <laughs> the movie version, yeah, it's just quite crazy. I mean, and I think that that's quite another level altogether, where you're like you're busy co-creating with your fans and building out that universe, yeah, and uh, being very blithe about the whole thing and like not caring if you know one thing goes against the other or yeah, and has, it yeah. probably helps that it it's also such a hilarious <laughs> oh yeah it story right is. all all versions yeah. of it it's, right. it's a comedy so <laughs> it's sort of it's okay to be irreverent and yeah i mean that's the other thing he is not taking it very seriously himself absolutely i think right. that, that yeah that that's key to understanding douglas adams and his yeah. work and and that sort of sets him apart from the rollings or dare i say the tolkiens of the world oh yeah right yeah. because jrr tolkien wrote the lord of the rings and the hobbit he wrote the hobbit first and then uh, the tone of the lord of the rings was completely different he started yep. work on the silmarillion he's got sort of more unpublished material probably than published material or unfinished <laughs> material than finished material yeah. but again he was just doing it on his own off to the side and he was writing discrete works so there are many many uh, versions of various legends such as that of Beren and Luthien right right uh, which predates the Lord of the Rings uh, yeah. and the Hobbit but he never published those to be fair to him it was his son and his estate then that then later went and sort of looked at what could be salvaged out of his unfinished works right yeah that and i'm basically very um, against that right it kind of seems to go against the very grain because during his lifetime he decided what he wanted published and what he did not want published right so making those decisions later was kind of painful well and and here's the thing right we we talked about alan moore let me introduce one last example into our conversation uh-huh. which is um you know everybody has come to know and love thanos uh-huh. <laughs> um, so thanos of course is the arch villain of the marvel cinematic universe mm-hmm. as it was until uh, end game came out avengers end game everybody knows him as the fella that killed 50% of all life he was created in the comics by an author called jim starlin mm-hmm. and for a very very long time you know jim starlin sort of wrote him he's on the record saying oh we just ripped off dark side from dc comics to design <laughs> thanos uh, the look of thanos it was a very twisted evil character to begin with mm-hmm. and over the years what would happen was jim starlin would pop in and out of marvel from time to time to write another thanos story right but then there came a time when he wasn't available and marvel really wanted to do a thanos story mm-hmm. so they gave it to someone else and they wrote a story that explains his background it mm-hmm. explains how he came to be the man he is or the critter he is right and they shed light on a very serial killeresque adolescence that he had where he was basically uh-huh. a mass murderer and okay. worshipper of death nice so they retconned that they, explanation exactly back into it right but here's the thing that wasn't endorsed by starlin that wasn't objected to by starlin he may or may not have liked what they did there but, but he didn't say anything about it no and right. he's after that book came out he's again come back to the marvel fold and written five or six more books right and uh, you know to me that sort of an interesting difference between comic books and all other media which is 
just by definition whatever you create is uh, canonical until it isn't and isn't really yours it you know it you know, the number of times batman superman all these uh, characters have died and come back the number <laughs> of times yeah. their whole motivation their origin their character completely changes is just ridiculous right the number of origin stories for superman alone would fill a encyclopedia i guess it also has to do with the nature of how things work on the financial side of the comic book world yeah right like when you're a creator and you create something like that it no longer belongs to you it belongs to the studio you created for true and then that studio is driven by uh, financial uh, pressures where they want to make the most money out of it so they yeah. need to reinvent the character whenever the world world view changes right uh, considerably right so you have anybody uh, who was created before the world war true uh, because before the second world war they you you see them going through those phases right as uh, society sees different things as big evils facing the world they face different foes they become different people true. as well true so no, i guess that kind of also contributes to that i i suppose also you grow out of comic books well some people do uh, yeah <laughs> well i haven't uh, but yeah most people kind of read comic books for maybe a 5 to 10 year period and yep. then they they look back at it fondly but they're not particularly invested in it yeah they they right. well they may be invested in it but they're not jealous guardians of it right mm-hmm. uh, because they okay. know that the the canon keeps changing, changing they, that's right. the nature yeah. of the medium I mean, one example i can give you which did cause uproar is marvel ran a event series uh, a couple of years ago called mm-hmm. secret empire okay in which it was revealed that because of some shenanigans with time travel or magic or something captain america has always secretly been a hydra agent oh and at one point he actually says hail hydra which wow. was you know the fanboys just exploded all over the world <laughs> against that and and so on but here's the thing the uproar died away they retconned it away he's no longer a 60 year <laughs> mole for hydra right and instead what happened was in avengers end game they poked fun at it so in the elevator scene in avengers end game right. where he yeah. gets the mind stone back from agents of hydra yeah, yeah. he leans over and quietly says hail, hail hydra, hydra. <laughs> yes. in a character's yeah <laughs> they actually replicated the comic panel in the movie to do wow, that right nice. so that that's a, like a nice inside easter egg for comic fans thing is nobody was too mad about it right so anyway so you know this has been a whistle stop tour of various of our favorite creations and the creators attitudes to them yes. so let's come back in the final segment and then i've got a question to ask you so we're back um and navin it's uh, time to answer the exam question right um i mean i i'm not sure i know the right answer to this but i'll flip the question to you anyway uh, we've done a overview of the way jk rowling has approached her creation mm-hmm. and we did a quick overview of uh, you know god we covered a lot of ground george <laughs> lucas arthur conan doyle Alan Moore, Jim Starlin. So, what do you think is the right answer? What do you think a creator or an author 
should do in relation to their creation once it's out there in respect of adding to it and clarifying things because you will if you're successful have a fandom that then asks you a lot of questions so what's the best way in your view to deal with it i have two thoughts on this right mm. one is the uh, what would i do what i would like somebody in jk rowling's position to do right and uh, the other one is what would you do if you were somebody like chair or talking mm. the difference being that talking no longer has a voice mm. i mean even during his lifetime he did not have a voice people read their books had book club meetings where they said whatever the hell they wanted he didn't yeah. know that yeah. and they didn't know what he thought of that whereas today the ability to exchange information across places and time is so much that mm. jk rowling could know what happens in every book discussion about harry potter right. uh, if she wanted right. to and she looks at a lot of that and she reacts to a lot of it and everyone knows what she thinks and says so those are different uh, places from which to approach this personally i what i think we should do is what we spoke about initially right anything that you write anything that you publish whether it is officially published as a book or if you put out a short story on your blog how yeah. will you make it right yeah. as long as it is a published work of yours that you want to put out as part of your output that is your prerogative right but beyond that the moment a creation leaves a creator's hands then fans have the liberty to do whatever they want with it right or, or other creators uh, yeah at this point i would say the moment you release something as an original creator mm. everybody else from that point on is you know within quotes a fan right because right. without that kind of without that kind of devotion i would say it would be difficult to produce an authentic work right so if you want to make write a really good thanos story you need to be a thanos fan yeah right? true so, true so that that's my take i mean i i'd say make it nurture it grow it then release it and then yeah i it's mean be happy there. with whatever happens to it yeah i mean personally i am more in the alan moore school of thought and in fact let me at this late juncture throw in another unplanned cameo by another creator who i greatly respect who is uh, bill watson the creator of calvin and hobbs mm. so both him and alan moore had this very clear fundamental principle which is we are writing in a medium that is the product so alan moore didn't have that much control over it but bill watson quite clearly said I'm not going to do interviews I'm not going to uh, allow merchandising uh, I'm not going to let you create plushies and mugs and toys out of my cartoon strip it is a cartoon strip enjoy it as such no you can't make an animated tv series either um, <laughs> which, which which kind of sucks for some of his fans but you know I I I do see where he's coming from he's saying the creation is out there and it is it is what it is fair enough I uh I kind of uh, want to modify my answer a little bit. Okay. I want to be like uh, Douglas Adams. Ah. Jump into the whole co-creation with fans kind of a thing. Right. So I write a story, you like it and you want to make a different version of it. I'm absolutely happy to. And uh, jumping between genres or between uh, mediums is actually uh, quite exciting to think about. True. So, True. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah I mean you know let's let's leave it at that I think it's fair to say neither of us knows the right answer air quotes around the right <laughs> but from my perspective if I bring it back to sort of the podcasting medium definitely one of the reasons why we're running the podcast is so that we 
well first of all we enjoy talking to each other that's yep. that's the primary reason but then the other is we do want to get a conversation going with fans and thankfully this is not a work of fiction so <laughs> we can actually go out and talk about it so yeah. let me just do a shameless plug to close and say we don't know what the right answer is we are not sure we've even posed the question correctly so come at us um you know we are on twitter and on facebook and on instagram plus there's the official website let us know what you think about all of this and uh, let's get the conversation going <laughs> Thanks for listening. We have been the Bantaman, Naveen and Rishi. Check out our website bantaman.com for extras from today's episode. We are available on your favorite platform including Google, Apple and Stitcher podcast. Go ahead and subscribe if we've managed to intrigue you and please leave a rating and a review. Leave us your thoughts on anything we've discussed here today. We await your feedback and any questions you want us to answer. Ideas for future episodes are also welcome.